Swarm by Bruce Sterling. I will miss your conversation during the rest of the voyage, the alien said. Captain Dr. Simon Afril folded his jewel hands over his gold embroidered waistcoat. I regret it also, Ensign, he said in the alien's own hissing language. Our talks together have been useful to me. I would have paid to learn so much, but you gave it freely. But that was only information, the alien said. He shrouded his head bright eyes behind thick, nictitating membranes. We investors deal in energy and precious metals to prize and pursue. Mere knowledge is an immature racial trait. The alien lifted the long ribbed frill behind his pinhole-sized ears. No doubt you're right, Avril said, despising him. We humans are as children to other races, however, so a certain immaturity seems natural to us. Afriel pulled off his sunglasses to rub the bridge of his nose. The starship cabin was drenched in searing blue light, heavily ultraviolet. It was the light the inventors, the investors preferred, and they were not about to change it for one human passenger. You have not done badly, the alien said magnanimously. You are the kind of race we like to do business with. Young, eager plastic, ready for a wide variety of goods and experiences. Hmm. We would have contacted you much earlier, but your technology was still too feeble to afford us a profit. Ha <laughs> ha Things are different now, Ephraim said. We will make you rich. Dip, 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 Indeed, the investor said. The frill behind his scaly hand flickered rapidly as a sign of amusement. Within 200 years, you will be wealthy enough to buy from us the secret our Starflight. Or perhaps your mechanist faction will discover the secret through research. Ephriel was annoyed. As a member of the reshaped faction, he did not appreciate the reference to the rival mechanists. As a member of the reshaped mechanist, don't put too much stock in mere technical expertise, he said. Consider the aptitude for languages we shapers have. It makes our faction much better trading partner. To a mechanist, all inventors look alike. The alien hesitated. Ephriel smiled. He had appealed to the alien's personal ambition with his last statement, and the hint had been taken. That was where the mechanist always erred. They tried to treat all inventors consistently using the same programmed routines each time. They lacked imagination. Something would have to be done about the mechanists, Alfred thought. Something more permanent than the small but deadly confrontations between isolated ships in the asteroids belt and the ice-rich rings of Saturn. Both factions maneuvered constantly, looking for a decisive stroke, bribing away each other's best talent, practice and ambush assassination in industrial Spionage. Captain Dr. Simon Eiffel was a past master of this pursuit. That was why the reshaped faction had paid the millions of kilowatts necessary to buy his passage. Eiffel held doctorates in biochemistry and alien linguistic and a master's degree in magnetic weapons engineering. He was 38 years old and had been reshaped according to the state of the art at the time of his conception. His hormonal balance had been altered slightly to compensate for long periods spent in free fall. He had no appendix. The structure of his heart had been redesigned for greater efficiency and his large intestine had been altered to produce the vitamins normally made by interstinia bacteria. Genetic engineering and rigorous training in childhood had given him an intelligence quote of 180. He was not the brightest of the agents of the Ring Council, but he was one of the most mentally stable and the best trusted. It seems a shame, the alien said. 
that a human of your accomplishments should have to rot for two years in this miserable profitless outpost. The years won't be wasted, Aphrod said. But why have you chosen to study the swarm? They can't teach you nothing since they cannot speak. They have no wish, no to trade, having no tools or technology. They are only spacefaring race that is essentially without intelligence. That alone should make them worthy to study, huh? Do you seek to imitate them? Then you would make monsters of yourself. Again, the ensign hesitated. Perhaps you could do it. It would be bad for business, however. There came a flaunting burst of Eldian music over the ship's speakers, then this screeching fragment of investor's language. Most of it was too high-pitched for Efri's ear to follow. The Eldian stood, his jeweled skirt brushing the tips of his clawed bird-like feet. This warm symbiote has arrived, he said. Thank you, Efri said. When the ensign opened the cabin door, Efriel could smell the swarm representatives. The creature's warm, yeasty scent had spread rapidly through the starship's recycled air. Efriel quickly checked his appearance in a pocket mirror. He touched powder to his face and straightened the round velvet hat on his shoulder-length reddish blonde hair. His ear globes glittered with red impact rubies, thick as his thumb and mined from the asteroid's belt. His knee-length coat and waistcoat were of gold brocade. The shirt beneath was of dazzling finness, woven with red gold thread. He had dressed up to impress the investors, who expected and appreciated a prosperous look from their customers. How could we... How could he impress this new alien? Smell? Perhaps? He freshened his perfume. Beside the starship's secondary outlook, the swarm symbiote was chittering rapidly at the ship's commander. The commander was an old and sleepy investor, twice the size of most of his crewmen. Of her crewmen, sorry. Her massive head was encrusted in a jeweled helmet. From within the helmet, her clouded eyes glittered like cameras. The symbiote lifted on its six posterior legs and gestured feebly with its four-clawed forelimbs. The ship's artificial gravity, a third again as strong as Earth, seemed to bother it. Its rudimentary eye, dangling on stalks, were shut tight against the glare. It must be used to darkness, Efrid thought. It must be used to darkness, right? The commander answered the creature in its own language. Efrid grimaced, for he had hoped that the creature spoke investor. Now he would have to learn another language, a language designed for a being without a tongue. After another brief interchange, the commander turned to Afriel. The symbiote is not pleased with your arrival, she told Afriel in the investor language. There has apparently been some disturbance here involving humans in the recent past. However, I have prevailed upon it to admit to you Admit you to the nest. The episode has been recorded. Payment for my diplomatic services will be arranged with the affections when I return to your native star system. I thank you, authority. Efri said, please convey to the symbiote my best personal wishes and the harmlessness and humility of my intentions. He broke off short as the symbiote lunged toward him, biting him savagely in the calf of his left leg. Avril jerked free and leapt backward in the heavy artificial gravity growing into a defensive position. The symbiote had ripped away a long shred of his pants leg in not now crouched quietly eating it. It will convey your scent and composition to its nestmates, said the commander. This is necessary. Otherwise, 
you would be classed as an invader and the swarm's warrior caste would kill you at once. Aphoriel relaxed quickly and pressed his hands against the puncture wound to stop the bleeding. He hoped that none of the investors had noticed his reflexive action. It would not mesh well with the story of being a harmless researcher. We will reopen the airlock soon, the commander said phlegmatically, leaning back on her thick reptilian tail. The symbiote continued to munch the shred of cloth. Avril studied the creature's necklace segmented head. It had a mouth and nostrils. It had bulbous uh, atrophied eyes on stalks. There were hinged slats that might have been radio receivers and two parallel ridges of clumped wriggling antennae sprouting among three chitinous plates. Their function was unknown to him. The airlock door opened. A rush of dense, smoky aroma entered the departure cabin. It seemed to bother the half-dozen investors, who left rapidly. We will return in 612 of your days, as by our agreement, the commander said. I thank your authority, Alfred said. Ephriel, uh, sorry. Good luck, the commander said in English. Ephriel smiled. The symbiont, with a sinuous wriggle of its segmented body, crept into the airlock. Ephriel followed it. The airlock door shut behind them. The creature said nothing to him, but continued munching loudly. The second door opened, and the symbiont sprang through it into a wide round stone tunnel. It disappeared at once into the gloom. Ooh, Ephriel puts his tongue down. Avril put his sunglasses into a pocket of his jacket and pulled out a pair of infrared goggles. He strapped them to his head and stepped out of the airlock. The artificial gravity vanished, replaced by the almost imperceptible gravity of the swarm's asteroid's nest. Avril smiled. Comfortable for the first time in weeks, most of his adult life has been spent in a free fall in the shaper's colonies in the rings of Saturn. Squatting in the dark, gravity is the side, cavity is the side of the tunnel was a disc-headed furred animal the size of an elephant. It was clearly visible in an infrared of its own body heat. Avril could hear its breathing. It waited patiently until Avril launched himself past it deeper into the tunnel. Then it took its place in the end of the tunnel, puffing itself up with air until its swollen head securely plucked in the exit into space. Its multiple legs sank firmly into sockets in the wall. The investor ship had left. Avril remained her here. Uh, the investor ship the investor's ship had left. Ephriel remained here, inside one of the millions of planetoids that circle the giant star. Better goose in a gridling ring with almost five times the mass of Jupiter. As a source of potential wealth, it dwarfed the entire solar system and it belonged more or less to the swarm. At least no other race had challenged them. Avril purred up the corridor. It seemed deserted and without, without other bodies to cast infrared heat. He could not see very far. Kicking against the wall, he floated hesitantly down the corridor. He heard a human voice. Dr. Avril? Dr. Myrnal, he called out. This way. He first saw a pair of young symbionts scuttling towards him, the tips of their clawed feet barely touching the walls. Behind them came a woman 
wearing goggles like his own. She was young and attractive. In the trim, anonymous way of genetically reshaped. She screeched something at the symbiotes in their own language and the halted waiting. She coasted forward in a free caught her arm, expertly stopping their momentum. You didn't bring any luggage? She said anxiously. He shook his head. We got your warning before I was sent out. I have only the clothes I'm wearing and a few items in my pocket. She looked at him critically. Is that what people are wearing in the rings these days? Things have changed more than I thought. Avril glanced at his broad-broaded coat, broad-headed coat, and laughed. It's a matter of um, policy. The inventors are always readier to talk to a human who looks ready. Uh, the investors, sorry, are always readier to talk to a human who looks ready to do business on a large scale. All the shapers representatives dress like this these days. We have stolen a jump on the mechanists. They still dress in those coveralls. He hesitated, not wanting to offend her. Galina Mirny's intelligence was rated as almost 200. Men and women, that bride were sometimes flightly and unstable, likely to retreat into private fantasy worlds or become enmeshed in strange and impenetrable webs of plotting and rationalization. High intelligence was a strategy the shapers have chosen in the struggle for cultural dominance, and they were obliged to stick to it, despite its occasional disadvantage. They had tried breeding the super bride, those with quotations over 200. But so many had defected from the shapers' colonies that the faction had stopped producing them. You wonder about my own clothing, Mirny said. It certainly has appeal of novelty, Afri said with a smile. It was woven from the fibers of a pupa's cocoon, she said. My original wardrobe was eaten by a scavenger symbiote during the trouble last year. I usually go nude, but I didn't want to offend you by too great a show of intimacy. Afri shrugged. I often go nude myself. I never had much use for clothes except for pockets. I have few tools on my person, but most of it are a little of little importance. We are shapers. Our tools are here. He tapped his head. If you can show me a safe place to put my clothes. She shook her head. It was impossible to see her eyes for the goggles, which made her expression hard to read. You've made your first mistake, doctor. There are no places of our own here. It was the same mistake the mechanist agents made. The same one that almost killed me as well. There is no concept of privacy or property here. This is the nest. If you seize any part of it for yourself, to store equipment, to sleep and whatever, then you become an intruder, an enemy. The two mechanists, a man and a woman, tried to secure an empty chamber for the computer lab. Warriors broke down their door and devoured them. Scavengers ate their equipment, glass, metal and all. Ephriel smiled coldly. It must have cost them a fortune to ship all that material here. <laughs> Many shrugged. They are wealthier than we are. 
They're machines. They're mining. They meant to kill me, I think. Surreptitiously, so the warriors wouldn't be upset by a show of violence. They have had a computer that was learning the language of the springtails faster than I could. But you survived, Avery pointed out. And your taps and reports, especially the early ones, when you still had most of your equipment, were of tremendous interest. The console is behind you all the way. You've become quite a celebrity in the rings during your absence. Yes, I expected as much, she said. Ephriel was nonplussed. If I found any deficiency in them, he said carefully. It was in my own field, alien linguistic, he waved waggly at the two symbiotes who accompanied her. I assume you've made a great progress in communicating with the symbiotes since they seem to do all the talking for the nest. She looked at him with an unbearable expression and shrugged. There are at least 15 different kinds of symbiotes here and those that accompany me are called the springtails and they speak only for themselves. They are savages, doctor. Who received attention from the investors only because they can still talk? There were a space-faring space race once, but they've forgotten it. But they discovered the nest and they were absorbed by the became parasites. She tapped one of them on the head. I tamed these two because I learned to steal and bag food better than they can. They stay with me now and protect me from the large ones. They are jealous, you know. They have only been with the nest for perhaps 10,000 years and are still uncertain of their position. They still think and wonder sometimes after 10,000 years, there is still a little of that left to them. Savages. Um, I can well believe that one of them bit me while I was still aboard the spa ship. He left a lot to be desired as an ambassador. Yes, I warned him you were coming. He didn't much like the idea, but I was able to bribe him with food. I hope he didn't hurt you badly. A scratch. Um, Ephraim said, I assume there is no chance of infection. I doubt it very much, unless you brought your own bacteria with you. Hardly likely, Ephraim said, offended. I have no bacteria and I wouldn't have brought microorganisms to an alien culture anyway. Myrny looked away. I thought you might have some of the special genetically altered once. I think we can go now. The springtail will have spread your scent by mouth touching in the subsidiary chamber ahead of us. It will be spread throughout the nest in a few hours. Once it reaches the queen, it will spread very quickly. She jammed her feet against the hard shell of one of the young springtails and launched herself down the hall. Every followed her. The air was warm and he was beginning to sweat. Under his elaborate clothing, but his antiseptic sweat was odorless. They excited and they exited into a vast chamber dug from the living rock. It was arched and oblong, 80 meters along, uh, 80 meters long and about 20 in diameter. It's warmth with members of the nest. There were hundreds of them. Most of them were workers. Eight lacked and furred, of uh, the size of great downs. 
Here and there were members of the warrior caste, horse-sized furry monsters with heavy fanged heads and the size and shape of overstuffed chairs. So this is the soundtrack for the nest. If you meet this away, two workers were carrying a member of the sensor cast, a being whose immense flattened head was attached to an atrophied body that was mostly lungs. The sensor had great plate-like eyes and its third chitin sprouted long coiled antenna that twitched feebly as the workers bore it along. The workers clung to the whole wood of the chamber, walls with hooked and suckered feet. <laughs> a pedal-limbed monster with a hairless, faceless head came sculling past them through the warmth, reeking air. The front of its head was a nightmare, a sharp grinding jaws and blunt armors as it spouts. A tunneler, Mary said. It can take us deeper into the nest. Come with me. She launched herself toward it and took a handhold on its fury, segmented black. Ephraim followed her, joined by the two immature springtails, who clung to the thing's height with their forelimbs. Ephraim shuddered to the, at the warm, greasy feel of its rank, damp fur. It continued to scowl through the air, its eighth fringe pedal feet catching the air like wings. There must be thousands of them, Avery said. I said a hundred thousands in my last report, but that was before I had fully explored the nest. Even now, there are long stretches I haven't seen. They must number, they must number close to a quarter of a million. This asteroid is about the size of the mechanist's biggest base, Ceres. It still has rich veins of carbonacodous material. It's far from mind out. Afri closed his eyes. If he was to lose his goggles, he would have to feel his way blind. Through these teeming, twitching, wriggling thousands. The population still expanding then? Definitely, she said. In fact, the colony will launch a mating swarm soon. There are three dozen male and female allies in the chambers near the Queen. Once they are launched, they will mate and state a new nest. Start a new nest. I will take you to them presently, she hesitated. We are entering one of the fungal gardens now. One of the young springtails quietly shifted positions, grabbing the tunnel's fur with its forelimbs. It began to gnaw on the knuffs of Ariel's pants again. Every kicked it soundly and it jerked back, retracting its eye stalks. When he looked up again, he saw that they had entered a second chamber much larger than the first. There was a round overhead and below were buried under an explosive profusion of fungus. The most common types were swollen, barrel-like domes, multi-branched mass thickets and spaghetti-like tangled extrusions that moved very slightly into the faint and dorous breeze. Some of the barrels were surrounded by dim mists of exhaled spores. Euthesis caked up piles beneath the fungus, its growth medium, Mary said. Yes, I'm not sure whether it's plant form or just some kind of complex biochemical sludge, she said. The point is that it grows in sunlight on the outside of the asteroid, a food source that grows in naked space. Imagine what that would be worth back in the rings. There aren't words for its value, Ephraim said. It's inedible by itself, she said. I tried to eat a very small piece of it once. It was like trying to eat plastic. Have you eaten well, generally speaking? Yes, our biochemistry is quite similar to the swarms. The fungus itself is perfectly edible. The regurgitated, 
is more nourishing though internal fermentation and the worker hingut adds to its um, nutritional value. Ephriel start start. You grow used to it, Muni said. Later I'll teach you how to uh, solicit food from the workers. It's a simple matter of reflex tapping. It's not controlled by pheromones like most of their behavior. She brushed a long lock of clumped and dirty hair from the side of her face. I hope the pheromonal samples I sent back were worth the cost of transportation. Oh yes, said Afriel. The chemistry of them uh, was fascinating. We managed to synthesize most of the compounds. It was part of the research team itself. He hesitated. How far did he dare to trust her? She had not been told about the experiment. He and his superiors had planned. As far as Mirny knew, he was a simple, peaceful researcher, like herself. The Shaper's scientific community was suspicious of the minority involved in military work and espionage. As an investment in the future, the Shapers had sent researchers to each of the 19th alien races described to them by the investors. This had cost the Shaper's economy many gigawatts of precious energy. And tons of rare metals and isotopes. In most cases, only two or three researchers could be sent. In seven cases, only one for the swarm, Galina Mirny, had been chosen. She had gone peacefully, trusting her intelligence and her good intentions to keep her alive and sane. Those who had sent her had known whether her findings would be of any use or importance. They had only known that it was imperative that she had been sent even alone, even if ill-equipped before some other factions sent their own people and possibly discovered some technique or fact of overwhelming importance. And Dr. Minnie had indeed discovered such a situation. It had made her mission into a matter of, um, let's say, ring security. That was why Afriel had come. You synthesized the compounds, she said. Why? Ephriel smiled, disarmingly, just to prove ourselves that we could do it, perhaps. She shook her head. No mind games, Dr. Ephriel, please. I came this far partly to escape from such things. Tell me the truth. Ephriel stared at her, regretting that the goggles meant he could not meet her eyes. Very well, he said. You should know, then, that I have been ordered by the Ring Council to carry out an experiment that may endanger both our lives. Mirny was silent for a moment. You are from security then? My rank is captain. I knew it! I knew it! I knew it! When those two mechanists arrived, they were so polite and so suspicious. I think they would have killed me at once if they hadn't hoped to bribe or torture some secret out of me. They scared the life out of me, Captain Ephriel. You scare me too. We live in a frightening world, Doctor. It's a matter of faction security. Everything is a matter of faction security with your lot, she said. It shouldn't take you. I shouldn't take you any farther or show you anything more. This nest, these creatures, they are not intelligent, Captain. They can't think, they can't learn. They are innocent, primordially innocent. They have no knowledge of good and evil. They have no knowledge of anything. The last thing they need is to become pawns in a power struggle with some other race light years away. The tunneler had turned into an exit from the fungal chambers and was paddling, slow, paddling slowly along in the warmer darkness. A group of creatures like grey 
flattered basketballs floated by from the opposite direction. One of them settled on Ephraim's sleeve, clinging with frail, whip-like tentacles. Ephriel brushed it gently away, and it broke loose, emitting a stream of full reddish droplets. Naturally, I agree with you in principle, Doctor. But... Consider these mechanics, some of their extreme factions are already more than half a machine. Do you expect humanitarian motives from them? They are cold, doctor. Cold and soulless creatures. Who can cut a living man or a woman to bits and never feel their pain? Most of the other factions hate us. They call us racist supermen. Would you rather that one of these cults do what we must do and use the results against us? This is double talk. She looked away. All around them workers, laden down with fungus, their jaws full and guts stuffed with it, were spreading out into the nests, scuttling alongside them or disappearing into branch tunnels, departing in every direction, including straight up and straight down. Every sour creature, much like a worker, but with only six legs, scuttled past in the opposite direction overhead. It was a parasite, parasite mimic. How long he wanted did it take to create, did it take a creature to evolve to look like that? It's no wonder that we have so much defectors back in the rings, she said sadly. If humanity is too stupid as to work itself into a corner like you describe, then it's better to have nothing to do with them. Better to live alone. Better not to help the madness spread. That kind of talk will only get us killed, if we said. We owe, an, we owe an allegiance to the faction that produced us. Tell me truly, Captain, she said. Haven't you ever felt the urge to leave everything, everyone, all your duties and constraints, and just go somewhere to think it all out? Just the whole world? And your part in it? We trained so hard from childhood, and so much demanded from us. Don't you think it's made us lose slider of goats somehow? We live in space, Ephraim said. Space is an unnatural environment and it takes an unnatural effort from unnatural people to pro prosper there. Our minds are our tools and philosophy has to come second. Naturally, I felt those urges you mentioned. They are just another threat to guard against. I believe in an ordered society. Technology has unleashed tremendous forces that are ripening society apart. Some one faction must arise from the struggle and integrate things. We shapers have the wisdom and restraint to do it humanly. That's why I do the work I do. He hesitated. I don't expect to see our day of triumph. I expect to die in some brushfire conflict or through assassination. It's enough that I can foresee this day. But the arrogance of it, Captain, she said suddenly. The arrogance of your little life and its little sacrifice. Consider the swarm if you really want to your humane and perfect order. Here it is. Where it's always warm and dark. And it smells good. And food is easy to get. And everything is endlessly and perfectly recycled. The only resources that I ever lost are the bodies of the mating swarms and a little air. A nest like this one could unchange for hundreds or thousands of years. Hundreds of thousands of years. Who or what will I remember? Us and now a stupid faction in even thousand years. 
Page turn. April shook his head, that's not a valid comparison. There is no such long view for us. In another thousand years, we will be machines or even gods. He felt the top of his head. His velvet cap was gone. No doubt something was eating it by now. The tunneler took them deeper into the asteroid's honeycombed freeform maze. They saw the pupil chambers where the pellet larve twitched its swaddled silk. The main, um, the main, the main, the main. Where is it? The main fungal gardens, the graveyard pits where winched workers beat seasonally all the soupy air, feverishly hot from the heat of decomposition. Corrosive black fungus ate the bodies of the dead into coarse black powder carried off by blackened workers themselves, three quarters dead. Later, they left the tunneler and floated on by themselves. The woman moved with the ease of a long habit. Um, Afri followed her, colliding bruisingly with squeaking workers. There were thousands of them, clinging to ceiling walls and flora clustering in Skirni at every conceivable angle. It's been seven days and fifteen days. No, that's something else. Later, still, they visited the chamber of the winched princess and princess, an echoing round vault where creatures forty meters long hung crooked legged in midair. Their bodies were segmented and metallic with organic rocket nozzles, and their throats where wings might have been folded along their sleek blacks were radar antenna on long sweeping boons. They looked more like interplanetary probes under construction than anything biological. Workers fed them seasonally. Since you take your love away. Murney, um, seasonally, where's the seasonally part? Oh God, I'm such a bad reader, I'm so sorry. If anybody listened to that till here, thank you very much and I'm very sorry. Their bulging spherical abdominals were full of compressed oxygen. Murney backed a large chunk of fungus from a passing worker, deftly tapping its antenna and provoking a reflex action. Murney bogged a large chunk of from. She handed most of the fungus to the two springtails, which devoured it greedily and looked expectantly for more. Afriel tucked his legs into a free-fall lotus position and began chewing with determination on the leathery fungus. It was good. Tough, but good. Tastes like smoked meat. A delicacy he'd had tasted only once. The smell of smoke means me, uh, smoke meant disaster in the shapeless colony. Murney maintained the stony silence. Food's no problem, Afri said. Where do we sleep? Oh gosh, this is so long. <laughs> Where do we sleep? Um, she shrugged. Anywhere. There are unused niches and tunnels here and there. I suppose you'll want to see the queen's chamber next. By all means. I'll have to get more fungus. The warriors are on guard there and have uh, to be bribed with food. She gathered an armful of fungus from another worker in the endless stream and they moved on. Afriel already totally lost what, um, totally lost was further confused in the maze of chambers. At last they exited into an immense uh, lightless cavern, bright with infrared heat, 
from the Queen's monstrous body. It was the colony's central factory. The fact that it was made of warm and pulpy flesh did not conceal its essentially industrial nature. Tons of pre-digested fungal gap went into the slick blind jaws at one end. Um, the end, one end. Where was the one end again? Sorry, I was... Um, <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm focusing now. Out of the other end came an endless conveyor-like blobbed stream of eggs, each one packed in a thick hormonal paste of lubrication. The workers avidly licked the eggs clean and bore them off to nurseries. Each egg was in the size of a man's torso. The process went on and on. There was no day or night here in the lightless center of the asteroid. There was no remnant or of a diurnal rhythm in the genes of these creatures. The flow of production was a constant and even as the working of an automated mine. This is why I'm here, Ephraim murmured in awe. Just look at this, Doctor. The mechanists have cybernetic mining machinery that is generations ahead of ours. But here, in the bowels of this nameless little world, is a genetic technology that feeds itself, maintains itself, runs itself efficiently, endless, mindlessly. It's the perfect organic tool. The faction that could use these tireless workers could make itself an industrial titan. And our knowledge of biochemistry is unsurpassed. We shapers are just the ones to do it. How do you propose to do that? Murney asked with the open skepticism. You would have to ship uh, you would have to ship a fertilized queen all the way to the solar system. We could scarcely afford that. Even if the investors would let us, investors would let us, which they wouldn't. I don't need an entire nest, Ephraim said patiently. I only need the genetic information from one egg. Our laboratories back in the rings could clone endless numbers of workers. But the workers are useless without the nest pheromones. They need chemical cues to trigger their behavior modes. Exactly, Ephraim said. As it so happens, I possess those pheromones synthesized and concentrated. What I must do now is test them. I must prove that I can use them to make the workers do what I choose. Once I've proven it's possible, I'm authorized to smuggle the genetic information necessary back to the rings. The investors wouldn't want to prove. There are, of course, moral questions involved, and the investors are not genetically advanced, but we can win their approval back with the profits we make. Best of all, we can beat the mechanists at their own game. You've carried the pheromones here, when he said, didn't the investors suspect something when they found them? No, it's you who has made enough. Now it's you who has made an error, Ephraim said calmly. calmly. You assume that the investors are infallible. You're wrong. A race without curiosity will never explore even every possibility the way we shapers did. Ephraim pulled up his pants, uh, cuff and extended his right leg. Consider this varicose vein along my shin. Circulatory problems of the sort are common among those who spend a lot of time in free fall. This vein, however, has been blocked artificially and treated to reduce osmosis. Within the vein are ten separate colonies of genetically altered bacteria. Each one's basically bred to produce a different swarm pheromone. He smiled. The investors searched me very thoroughly, including x-rays, but the vein appears normal to x-rays. And the bacteria are trapped within compartments in the vein. They are indetectable. I have a small medical kit on my person. It includes a syringe. We can use it to extract the pheromones and test them. When the tests are finished, and I feel sure they will be successful, in fact, I've staked my career on it, we can empty the vein and all its compartments. The bacteria will die on contact with air, we can refill the vein with the yolk from a developing embryo. The cells may survive during the trip back. But even if they die, they can't rot inside my body. They will never come in contact with any agent of decay. Back in the rings, we can learn to activate and suppress different genes to produce the different castes, just as is done in nature. We'll have millions of workers, armies of warriors if needed be, perhaps even organic rocket ships grown from altered elates. If this works, who do you think will remember me then, huh? Me and my arrogant little life and little sacrifice? She stared at him. Even the bulky goggles could not hide her new respect and even fear. You really mean to do it then? I made the sacrifice of my time and energy. I expect results, doctor. 
but it's kidnapping. You're talking about breeding a slave race. Ephriel shrugged with contempt. You are juggling words, doctor. I'll cause this colony no harm. I may steal some of its workers' labor while they obey my own chemical orders, but that tiny theft won't be missed. I admit to the murder of one egg, but that is no more a crime than a human abortion. Can theft of one strand of genetic material be called kidnapping? I think not. As for the scandalous idea of a slave race, I reject it out of hand. These creatures are genetic robots. They will no more be slaves than are laser drillers or cargo tankers. At the very worst, they will be our domestic animals. Myrny considered the issue. It did not take her long. It's true. It's not as if a common worker will be staring at the stars, pining for its freedom. They are just brainless neutrists. Exactly, Doctor. They simply work. Whether they work for us or the swarm makes no difference to them. I see that you've seized on the beauty of the idea. And if it worked, Mooney said, if it worked, our faction would profit astronomically. Ephriel smiled genuinely, unaware of the chilling sarcasm of his, of his expression. And the personal profit, Doctor, the valuable expertise of the first to exploit the technique. He spoke gently, quietly. FSC, nitrogen, snowfall, and titan? I think a habitat of one's own there. Larger, much larger than anything possible before. A genuine city, Galena, a place where a man can scrap the rules and disciplines that madden him. Now it's you who are talking defection, Captain Doctor. Ephriel was silent for a moment, then smiled with an effort. Now you've ruined my perfect reverie, he said. Besides, what I was describing was the well-earned retirement of a wealthy man, not some self-indulgent hermitage. There's a clear difference, he hesitated. In any case, may I conclude that you are with me in this project? She laughed and touched his arm. There was something uncanny about the small sound of her laugh, droned by a great organic rumble from the queen's monstrous intestines. Do you expect me to resist your arguments for two long years? Better that I give in now and save us friction. Yes, after all, you won't do any harm to the nest. They will never know anything has happened. And if the genetic line is successfully reproduced back home, there will never be any reason for humanity to bother them again. True enough, said Ephriel, though in the back of his mind he instantly thought of the fabulous wealth of Betelgeuse asteroid system. A day would come, inevitably, when humanity would move to the stars en masse in earnest. It would be well to know the ins and outs of every race that might become a rival. I will help you as best as I can, he said. There was a moment and uh, there was a moment's silence. Have you seen enough of this area? Yes. They left the Queen's chamber. I didn't think you would like it at first, she said candidly. I think I like you better now. You seem to have a sense of humor that uh, most security people lack. It's not a sense of humor, she said sadly. It's a sense of irony disguised as one. There were no days in the unending stream of hours, hours that followed. There were only wrecked periods of sleep, apart at first, later together, as they held each other in the free fall. The sexual feel of skin and body became an anchor to their common humanity, a divided, frayed humanity so many light years away that the concept no longer had any meaning. Life in the warm and swarming tunnels was the here and now. The two of them were like germs in a bloodstream, moving ceaselessly with a pulsing ebb and flows 